the Down to a Fine Art. Don't say it. Not dot podcast. Just Down to a Fine Art. I said not in front of it, so it doesn't count. Fine. Yes, I am. Five years old. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to a sunny Friday morning. Is that what's happening? (laughs) I'm sure it is now. (laughs) We've got an exciting episode planned today. It's one that we've been, to be honest, attempting to do for many a year, it seems like. Yes, it's been in the works for quite a long time. And what sadly happens, I think the reason we keep putting it off is because it actually requires preparation. And if I'm honest, I still don't think we've done the preparation required, but we've just finally decided we've just got to do it. So we're doing a sort of reading slash book club kind of episode. It's loosely inspired by some of our concept episodes that we've done, where we've brought a topic for discussion hopefully with a bit of research behind it but that can but often not yes that that's not promised so yes essentially izzy and i have both brought a book in and they're different books so it's not a conventional reading no slash book club i don't know why i keep saying reading club because it is a book club not a reading club um, <laughs> um so yeah we've brought different books to talk about but i guess i'm hoping because we're both interested in sort of vaguely similar things, there'll be some nice links between them. Ooh, hopefully. That'd be fun. Yes. Um, I don't know how well prepared I feel. No, I mean, as we've well established this morning, my brain really is not working. Yeah, Um, we've had a strange morning. Yeah, it's been very odd. Um, We've spent the last hour or so fuming about houses. Yeah, if anyone's got a house to rent in Cornwall, please, please rent it to us. The problem is, by the time this goes out, it's going to be very desperate circumstances. Okay, so if you hear this and you have somewhere to rent out, please contact us. We might be crying. We probably are. We, yeah, I was going to start a rant, but it's, un- it's unnecessary. <laughs> um, Just know that we have a lot of feelings. Yes. Lots yes. feelings and opinions. And we have been discriminated against by age. Yes. There's a house that says they want 25s and over, and I am, what, five months off being 25? But we can't have it because we're too young. Rude. Anyways, that's by the by. Jackie. Oh. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> I've named and shamed. <laughs> it's also not Jackie's fault, it's the landlord's fault. Let's not bring Jackie into this. No, I'm bringing Jackie into this. Oh, poor Jackie. Um, anyway, before we get too off anyway, track. Yes. Um, yeah, so like Anna said, we've, we've each got a book mm-hmm. with some potential notes and quotes and thoughts. Um, like that. Notes, quotes and thoughts, that's the title of the episode. Is it? Okay, yes. cool. Nice. I'm glad we've done some work. You've got to get in there early. <laughs> so welcome to Notes, Quotes and Thoughts. Yes. Um, on today's episode. Notes, um... Quotes and Thoughts, episode one of the miniseries. Exactly. Um, but yeah, like, I don't, I don't think we've quite, like, figured out exactly how this episode is going to go or how we're going to make it a recurring episode. But I imagine it might be that, like, every so often we'll do an episode where maybe it'll be the same book, maybe it'll be different books. We just bring some quotes and, like, unpack them a little bit. Just because I also think it's interesting that, like, when you do art or a creative subject, you're very much encouraged to do a lot of reading and not necessarily, like, for example, if you do fine art, you're not really encouraged to read fine art. You're encouraged to read, like, about your interests. That's very true. Like, whenever I go to a bookshop, I never really look at the art section because it's kind of, it's always, like, Vincent van Gogh over the years or, like, something like that, which is, like, yeah, I get important to know about and everything, but... I personally don't find it particularly, like, inspirational to my own practice or, like, it's not food for thought for my own practice. Yeah, exactly. Whereas, like, I'll go to probably, like, the nature section or, like, philosophy or, you know, whatever. Yeah. I, to be honest, I don't really know the category that I look for, but it's definitely something yeah, in I that ilk, as we will see with our book choices Indeed. today, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it might even work that, like, these episodes kind of serve as, like, almost like ideas for listeners. So, like, maybe if you're mm. listening and you're like, ah... Oh, that speaks to my interest now I've got a book recommendation sort of thing yes. that's always quite nice um but yeah should we introduce our books crack on yes do you want to go first sure um <laughs> throw you on under the bus <laughs> <laughs> I perfectly accepted that I was like yeah um so the book that I have bought is called Arts of Living on a Damaged Planet and then it's got like a a sub what's it called like that's the main title and then it's got like a, a little subtitle <laughs> so far but is it's not a, is it a subtitle oh maybe not i just love that you had title and then you're like it's a sub no i don't know what the sub thing is oh, is it a subtitle i guess i'd call it a subtitle maybe well i don't know what you're talking it's, about yeah it's but... going to be called arts of living on a damaged planet mm-hmm. and the um, sub thing is doesn't exist we're not gonna go that what, ghost, ghost <laughs> of the anthropocene well it's um i think it's like ghosts and monsters of the anthropocene mm. 
because basically the reason this book is quite cool is that it's like a double-sided book so it's two books in one and like you flip it over they basically meet in the middle um it's like you read from either end inwards um which is quite fun yes and um, also when the izzy got to her notes this morning i was like oh no i didn't write down which side of the book i was on yeah <laughs> so i had to do some quick research about that um, but yeah so one half of the book is called ghosts and the other half of the book is called monsters right um and they sort of it's basically a book that's written by lots of different people in various fields and it's like it's like a collection of like short essays or stories mm-hmm. where they talk about different subjects but they kind of contribute to an overarching theme of ghosts or monsters and before you kind of get into the actual essays there there are some really good introductions on both ends about what they mean when they say ghosts of the anthropocene and what they mean when they say monsters of the anthropocene oh. so like it sets it quite well and then you kind of like go into essays about the topic um i'd very much like to read this one i think you had read it I think I've read bits of it. Uh, Like, I harvested bits for my dissertation. I see. That's how I wrote my whole dissertation, was just... Oh, same. Harvesting. Same. I didn't read a whole book once. I don't think I did either. I did a lot of harvesting. (laughs) (laughs) I did a lot of um, choosing quotes and forcing them to fit what I wanted to say. Yes. Which I did think was really interesting, because my... I shouldn't know this, but my secondary marker for my dissertation picked up on that and was like it feels like you wanted to write about something else and you were just kind of grabbing things to make it fit. And I was Ooh. like, I don't know what you're in about. <laughs> Definitely not. No, no, sir. Never. <laughs> to me? I don't know what you're saying. Um, but anyway, yeah, that, that's that's my book. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to introduce yours? Or should yes. we... Yeah. Should I a very brief overview? Yes. So we know where we're heading. Indeed. Um, so my book is called Entangled Life and it's by Merlin Sheldrake. And what quite honestly, name? that is the best name like obviously I mean, this this man was destined for great things if he's been given a name like that at birth. Berlin Sheldrake. I've been really shot in the foot by being called Anna Harris. <laughs> and I know my parents <laughs> will be listening to this. <laughs> what a mainstream name. Um and essentially Entangled Life is all about mushrooms in a in a broad sense. And so it's kind of thinking about I feel like mushrooms have really had a kind of um, I was gonna say resurgence, but that implies they initially had a surgence. <laughs> <laughs> They've had a real sort of flourishing over the past like rise in popularity and i don't i genuinely don't know rise in popularity is a far more normal way of saying that thank you also it's a bit weird that you're saying yeah the mushrooms have really had a rise in popularity (laughs) but they have well actually so this is the thing i don't know how widespread this rise in popularity is because i feel like it's it's seems quite widespread in the circles that i move in yeah i do agree with art circles like for example when we graduated and the head of our like department was doing a sort of talk she was using like mushroom and mycelium and like analogies like that so it's like sort of you know it's being used it's being used in speeches (laughs) um but whether or not that's actually out there in the public consciousness i don't know so yeah it's a really interesting book that talks about sort of how mushrooms are just so kind of weird and alien and like really disrupt how we would like how we maybe previously understood plants I suppose, um, because they are just, yeah, weird and wonderful. So that's that book. I like it. As a, as an umbrella. I'm throwing words out there this morning that don't quite mean what I want them to be. That's the book as an umbrella. (laughs) 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 Nearly. I know what you were going for, but it wasn't quite there. Um, But I'm aware you have a a list of quotes written out, which is more organised than I have been. So Um, do you want to... Do you want to start? Yeah, sure. I would like to preface this by saying, though, that um, my list of quotes, I have spelt, I think, about 80% of it wrong. Also, didn't put page numbers, don't even know what, what side of the book these quotes are from. Okay, cool, um, cool. Also, can't really understand my thoughts on a lot of this. I do this a lot. Like, I'll write something and I'll be like, yes this is exactly what I'm thinking, this is great, and then I'll revisit it and I'll be like, I've written the word dog and circled it quite a lot, like, what does that mean? (laughs) I do that so often. I write something down, I'm like, yeah, I'll definitely know what I was thinking when I wrote that. And then it's like, I'm 24 years (laughs) into life, you'd think I would have learnt by now that that never works. Yes, yes. Never has it once worked. (laughs) And yet here we are. Indeed. I also find that, like, when I write things, like, when I'm pull out quotes from a book and like kind of just jot down my thoughts about it if i read the book again with the notes next to it i think i'm more likely to understand it because i think a lot of a lot of your thoughts 
I don't think you realise that like when you're reading a book and you come across a quote and you're like, oh, that's made me think of that. It's not just the quote that's made you think yes, of that. It's like the completely. mindset you had when you were reading the rest of it. Yeah. So like to kind of come in, it's just like a random Friday morning and I'm here like, oh, yes, the entangled world. Like this made me think of this. I'm like, it's just not going to have the same. Yeah. I'd be surprised if my brain did the same thing. Yes. Um, and I do that as well, where I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll circle this bit and then. And then when I reread the book, I'll know that mm. this is the bit. I'm like, I'm never going to reread no. the book. Are you kidding me? It took me long enough to re- write, read it in the first place. Exactly. Write it in the first place. Lots yes. to learn. <laughs> Indeed. Lots to grow on. But anyway. Yeah, so I can't like Some of the quotes I have, I can't really unpack with you because I don't have any thoughts quite, about them. I'm quite excited for that. The mystery of it all, you know. I mean, to be fair, I could definitely go for some of them. Like, I have no idea what my thoughts were when I wrote yes, this. Yes, please. Um, but I do also have a couple okay. that I was like, yes, I, I like, I still really like this quote and I understand why I picked up on it. Mm. And just as like a slight tangent, but I feel like this is why I sometimes struggle to read books of this ilk. Mm-hmm. Um, because I find that I often read them with the intention of being like, ah, oh, this is going to be relevant. This is going to be something I can apply to my practice. Yes. And it makes it work. It doesn't then make it, it's still enjoyable to read once you get into it. But I often find that like initial mental block is there because I've almost like applied my art practice to the book and therefore I'm aware I'm going to have to do a lot of critical thinking and note taking. I'm like, actually, maybe I just want to read a book that I find interesting. Yes. So either way, I thought I'd point that out. If anyone else is feeling like that with books, I feel you. Yeah. But anyway, shall I, shall I pick a quote? Do it. Okay. I've got, I've got one. It's short and sweet. Oh, I like it. And by short and sweet, it's five words. Oh, wow. Shall I I go for it? Yes, please. (laughs) Ghosts point to our forgetting. Oh, that is good. That's a very good quote. I like it. Do you know who wrote that? Sorry, I don't know why you said you had not written that down at all. Well, my guess is that it's from the ghosts section of the book. Um, And I think it's just in the introduction. Oh, that's my tissue bookmark. Oh. I've forgotten that was there. Izzy uses a tissue as her bookmark. I now have a bookmark, though, that you have made me for my birthday. Yes. So I can swap that out. Okay, good. I'm so glad. Um, yeah, so this is just from the introduction, and I actually don't know who's written the introduction. Oh, I think it's written by four people. I don't know how you write with four people. Yeah, this is what I also find interesting about this book, is that it's like a big collaborative project. Yeah. Um, So yeah, it's it's written by Elaine Gann, Anna Singh, Heather Swanson, and Niels Buban. Nice. But yeah, so it's it's a quote from somewhere in the introduction, basically, of the ghosts section. Ghosts point to our forgetting. Um, ghost point to our forgetting indeed. It's very nice it's like a line from a poem i know yeah did you i mean i i can kind of remember my thinking on this but i don't know if that's something i should bring first or if you wanted to kind yeah, of take a, a crack at it take a crack at it take a crack at yeah, it what am i getting from that i mean i guess i know the context of the book is sort of anthropocene yes anthropocene is it worth kind of doing a very brief overview of what the anthropocene is oh yeah sure I feel like this is very much your wheelhouse, so I think you should go okay. for it. Thank you. The Anthropocene is the name of the geological era that we are currently in that is kind of, I mean, anthropos means human. So it's like the geological era of the human. I should check this. When I wrote my dissertation, which was like a year ago, it wasn't like scientifically confirmed, confirmed. Yeah. Like it, it's very much like a word that's like been around for quite a while and it's being like very is again used in sort of widely kind of fairly mainstream mm. word and there's lots of there's you know there's lots of scientific activity around it yeah and people proposing like when it started but i don't think it was yes quite technically accepted Actually, yeah. by like the board <laughs> that's fair um, but yeah that's that's loosely what it means so obviously it like refers to a lot of things to do with like the climate emergency and all of that because it's mm. it's to do with like the irreversible changes that we make to the planet yeah i think i read somewhere or like maybe someone told me like a version of an explanation of it which i actually quite liked Mm. was the idea of like when you think of like a geological epoch um or like an era it's what is like most what is most shaping that era Mm -hmm. and obviously as humans like we are causing the most not just damage but also, like, we are shaping the world in our kind of image the most. Yes. Like, we are the defining factor of how the world is forming at the moment. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it is a human era. Yes. Yeah, I should also say that I can't remember if it was... I can't remember what word I used, but I don't think I used the correct 
era, epoch, all of the period. Who knows? I, I've forgotten which which technical. Can't, can't tell you. I think can't I said era, you. but anyway. We all know we're not a scientific, yeah. fact based <laughs> podcast. <laughs> this is a fake news podcast. Don't <laughs> oh, you know? God. <laughs> but yeah, sorry, to go back to the quote. Yes. Um, ghost point. So, mm, I really like it, but I'm trying to work out why. Because I think I, I like how poetic it is and how sort of open-ended it is yeah but I, th- I annoy myself because I do that a lot I'm like oh I like it it's poetic and fun but then I don't like push on into the like but what does it mean okay. bit. I'm really struggling to be like what does it mean because I think ghosts like there's that whole thing of yeah like it, it it's very that phrase is whole very evocative of like the past um and like how we I mean like we were talking about at the start of the podcast to be honest we as humans will eternally just make the same mistakes over yes. and over again or, and you know then forget that we've done it or yes. somehow like convince ourselves that it'll work out this time around and I feel like there's a lot of that in the entirety of human history mm. it is admittedly quite hard for us collectively to continually be reflecting back on oh we did that you know Lance there's a big trend here where like uh, when we do all this like nuclear stuff, maybe it's not so good. You yes. know, like it, there's there's a sort of um, collective forgetting or a yeah. collective like turning a blind eye, maybe. Yeah, because um, that's the whole thing about like the very very common phrase that history repeats itself. Mm. There's a lot of kind of nuance around that surrounding the idea of like it's so important to remember history mm-hmm. because if you don't remember history, the bad things happen again. Yeah. So like for example, particularly like with the rise of like for example Hitler I know there's a lot of I think it was quite worrying there's been fairly recently I'd say within the last like five ten years I know that there was a big rise in people who were still alive from that time Mm. um, saying that there were a lot of similarities occurring in current leaders politics the way the countries were being formed Mm -hmm. in relation to what happened you know back then which meant that Hitler actually gained power and like that's I think that's quite a like good example of this idea of like you need to remember history because if you don't remember history bad people can do the same things yeah you sort of need to be able to be like hey this is heading in a direction it's gone before it ended badly we need to stop it and correct it sort of thing yeah definitely and I think there's something nice about how it's talking about things that we've forgotten you would almost not really associate anything that it's hard to define the word forgotten without just saying forgotten but like (laughs) It's like thinking of the like traces of the things that we've forgotten. And mm. it's nice to have ghosts as that figure of like something that's kind of like out of view. Yeah. Completely forgotten about. But there's still a sort of it still exists. Yeah. I mean, it ties into the old tree falling in a forest. It's like if nobody's thinking about it, it still exists somewhere. Like it doesn't just go away. Yeah. Yeah. Nice quote. It's a good quote. What did it make you think of? So I think for me, when I was writing my dissertation, I did a section of my dissertation that was about something called shifting baseline syndrome, mm-hmm. um, which is very relevant today, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, it's the idea that our ability to forget things is very problematic because what happens is if you remember, you have a baseline for something. So, for example, 100 years ago, the baseline for what our climate was like was, I don't know, at zero, let's say. Mm-hmm. This is very not true, but um, (laughs) so like as kind of generations pass, you're not you don't have one person that like retains that information. And therefore it means when the new generation appears, if it's not correctly documented and like held on to and remembered, your baseline changes. So, for example, generation one, their baseline is at zero. Generation Mm. two let's say there's no proper documentation, no passing on of like, this is what the climate is like currently, Mm. that sort of thing. When it comes to generation two, between those two generations, there'll be a shift in the climate. So things will get worse. So maybe Mm. the baseline will go from zero to 10. Mm -hmm. And with generation two, 10 is just their new zero. They don't realise it's moved. So generation two think, yeah, the baseline's at zero. And then between generation two and generation three, it changes again. Mm. But generation three also think that it's a zero. So it means that with time, the baseline that you're treating things with is shifting, but you don't recognise it. Mm. And it's relevant today because obviously with the climate, a lot of people are saying like, oh, yeah, well, it's just, you know, you all the people that don't believe in like the climate emergency, they spread a lot of like bullshit. And a fair amount of it is centred around this idea of like, 
oh, well, the weather's always been doing this or like, you know, we've always had tropical storms. Yes, but when you look back at the history of us tracking tropical storms, they're becoming more frequent, mm -hmm. which means that things are getting worse. Mm. If we didn't have that tracking documentation, we wouldn't know that because we'd believe it was normal. Yeah. So that's kind of what shifting baseline syndrome is. It's like this really weird ability to forget things mm -hmm. and just assume that everything is normal, yeah. even though it's not and it is changing. We're just not paying attention and remembering. So obviously I did quite a lot on my dissertation about shifting baseline syndrome. So I like, when I thought of this, when I saw this quote, like, ghosts point to our forgetting, I thought it was quite a nice reference to shifting baseline syndrome and our ability to like forget what was there before us mm -hmm. or like earlier on. Do you yeah, know, yeah, it's this yeah. like this thing of like forgetting. And if you kind of are assigning a ghost to it or if this thing has a ghost, it doesn't allow you to forget. Yes. And That's I think nice. it's nice as well when you kind of apply it to, for example, extinction. So I've got another quote here, which I'm also going to use. Mm. And the quote is, a world haunted by the threat of extinction. Mm. And I think the reason I like them, like both those quotes, and the reason I kind of tie them together is this idea of like, if you're assigning a ghost to something or you're saying that something is like haunting, it has like this continuing quality even after it's gone or happened or mm. like no longer present. Yes. And I find it interesting that like this idea that we could be being haunted by for example, extinction, is really interesting because it means it won't let us forget what has happened or gone wrong. Yeah, It's kind of like a persistent reminder of like, oh yeah, our actions meant that this whole species went extinct. And it's kind of, I wouldn't say it's like scary, but it's definitely quite a powerful thought to like have, almost like, I'm trying to think of an animal that's gone extinct and suddenly I can't remember a single animal that's gone extinct in my dodo. whole life. The dodo. <laughs> Interesting, yes, the dodo. Uh -huh. um, it's kind of weird thinking, like, I don't know if you were to just look out the window and see the ghost of, like, every single dead dodo that's ever, oh like, God. occurred. Like, it's kind of quite a powerful image. Yeah. And I just, th I think ghosts and this idea of haunting are actually, I don't know, there's there's something quite powerful to it. Yes. But yeah, I think that's why I liked both of those quotes. And I think, again, it's a nice little, like, you can tie it into, like, fossils or like remnants of life like in my practice mm. um because again i sort of view them as objects that like you can't forget so like you know the skull that i have yeah the animal is dead but it's it's like a presence that won't let you forget that that was a living thing yeah um so that's quite well that's why i quite liked that's, those quotes that is really nice i think with shifting baselines it's it's interesting in that it can be applied to you know uh massive concepts like the climate crisis and how there's this shifting baseline of whatever global temperature or wherever it might be um but then you all it's also something i can definitely see applying to my day-to-day -day life of like yeah. shifting baselines of like i don't know something like sleep where it's like maybe three years ago i was like eight hours yep and then like slowly but surely every new yeah. year i'm like yeah, yeah it's seven and a half hours sleep i get right yeah yeah <laughs> or like i don't know so many little things and i think that's that's weirdly what can be quite helpful with big conversations to have something that you can relate to on an emotional yeah, everyday definitely. level and be like, oh, I can see how that's like a sort of trend that is kind of easy to slip into. Mm. And I, yeah, I can I can feel that emotionally. I can relate to that, but I can see it's also happening on a big scale and how that might be a problem. Yeah. You know, it's nice to have, have something. Yeah. Like that. And I think also like that's a really interesting point as well, because it kind of it plays into this idea of like, I think humans often like we've established forget things quite easily but I think that's why like just to take a positive spin on it it's really important to like on a personal level to sometimes like check in with yourself and be like hey yeah. this time last year this is how I felt this is where I was in my life this is what I was doing I've progressed since then yeah like I think it's that thing you often f I don't know I think some people often forget to like celebrate the little victories a little bit yeah and be like oh yeah this time last year I was well I don't know this time like five years ago I'm trying to think of an example. Oh, this is a good one. Like, however many years ago, I never in my life would have thought I'd be working for the Tate. Oh, right, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, that was su it's such a big artist establishment. I was really kind of, I was like, yeah, that would be amazing. Could you imagine if I ever worked for the Tate? Yeah. And I've been working for the Tate for three years now. And it's just kind of my day-to-day. -day. Like, I don't really think about it, but sometimes it could be nice to be like, hey, let's have a look at where I was a little while yeah, ago. that's true. Recognise that things have changed and actually that's a pretty cool change. Yeah. I can be proud of myself for that. Like, yeah. 
that's cool. That's a much nicer way of looking at it than I was like. Mine was like, oh, <laughs> things are going downhill. Things no, are slipping. It, that's important as well because I think, yeah, it can be used on the flip side of like, yeah. it can be a good way to recognise if maybe you're not doing very well at the moment or maybe you need to get some help, maybe mm. you need to pay more attention to looking after yourself or like mm. trying to do a particular thing. Yes, yeah. It's like, yeah, like paying attention to those baseline assumptions or like baseline Indeed. sort of qualities that you need to look after. But yeah, those nice. were those were two two little quotes. Very nice. Indeed. Really makes me want to read the, the ghost half of the book. I'm sure I want to read the monsters half as well <laughs> at some point, but the ghost half, yeah, there's there's something really powerful about is it called hauntology or is that something else? I think it might be. The concept of sort of like the past lingering. Yeah, should we do a little Google? It's a range of ideas referring the return or persistence of elements from the social or cultural past as in the manner of the oh, ghost. social or cultural past. I feel like that's something Mark Fisher talks about. Not that I've ever really read Mark Fisher, but I would like to. It's also a music genre. Oh, cool. Oh, that's interesting. It's, defi- it's loosely defined. Wait. Hauntology is a music genre or a loosely defined stylistic feature that evokes cultural memory and aesthetics of the past. Ah. That's cool. Uh, did you want to do a quote? or should I, I do... was thinking have a ghost section or if you want i feel like that makes sense rather than batting between two between books. two things yeah. and trying to shoehorn them together yeah okay yeah let's continue okay i've got i've got another quote okay still a bit ghosty that's nice that's but, good but we're okay with that yeah, yeah i mean i am after all reading a section on ghosts yeah so yeah. who can blame me yeah okay the quote is mm-hmm. death may not after all be the end of life after death comes the strange life of ghosts mm-hmm. and then i think there's like a bit of the sentence which I kind of cut out because it wasn't relevant. Okay. Um, <laughs> Ghosts are uncanny because they disturb the proper separation between life and death. They mark a between that is tainted by strangeness. Uh, very nice. It's a good quote, isn't it? Very nice. It's a good quote. Bit of the old liminal. The old, the old liminal. Very nice. And strangeness. Mm. That might be a nice bridge to mushroom book eventually. Ooh. Okay, I'm going to read the quote again. Without my interruption being like, this is where I cut some of the sentence okay, out. Okay, yeah. Um, death may not, after all, be the end of life. After death comes the strange life of ghosts. Ghosts are uncanny because they disturb the proper separation between life and death. They mark a between that is tainted by strangeness. My notes on this, <laughs> at least the first note, is love this quote with lots of exclamation marks. <laughs> um, because it's a great quote. It is a great It's quote. really good. I also just realised oh, I didn't finish writing my notes on this because it's ended mid-sentence. Love so that. I also love that as well. <laughs> um, but basically, I think, at least for me, again, obviously applied to my practice, I was very much thinking about fossils and obviously liminality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was, it's just quite a good summary of, whenever I talk about trace fossils, which are no longer trace fossils, mm. they're just the weird, like, fragments of life that I don't really know what to call but now I think have started calling them fragments of life Mm -hmm. um interestingly Mm. I think it's it just kind of almost like sums up my thoughts on it quite well I sort of almost view these objects like little fossils and bones and like feathers and fragments of life Mm. they're not trace fossils because I've moved on from that (laughs) um but they are kind of like ghosts or I sort of like liken them to ghosts Mm. and I think again like death may not after all be the end of life after death comes the strange life of ghosts ghosts are uncanny because they disturb the proper separation between life and death they mark a between that is tainted by strangeness like that's just exactly what it is like I'm aware that these things these objects I have they're not alive but I also don't view them as completely dead because they have life to them Mm. and I think it just it says what I want to say, but in a way I will never be able to say it. Yeah, that's um, what I find so nice, but so painful about really good yes. quotes. You're like, <laughs> yes, you've said it exactly, and I don't know how to contribute to this. Exactly. But thank you for doing that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly that. So yeah, I feel like that's quite, almost like quite a nice thing for me to have, like whenever I need to write about my work or kind of reference my thoughts, because I forget my thoughts a lot, and it's nice to like, it's nice to have something there that I can go back to and be like, yes, this person has kind of said what I want to say in the way I want to say it. And I mean, it's said beautifully as well. So maybe instead of writing an artist statement, I'll just collect lots of quotes and submit those instead. It's really not a bad idea. Although I always worry with that kind of thing about how you reference things correctly when it's like... Because I always want to do that as well. I want to, like, include things in my work. But then I'm like, well, I've stolen other people's words here. Mm. But it's also not an appropriate time in the middle of a drawing to start being like... "Um, 
A Sing 2016 Arts of Living on a Damaged Planet like yeah. you don't want to have that kicking about anyway it's by the by but no, yeah I mean it's a very valid I question like I also idea. don't know how to deal with that <laughs> but going back to the quote yes. I think there's something about strangeness that's very important yeah when thinking about like the the non-human there's a kind of there's like a power in strangeness I think of of like going back to the old vibrant matter by Jane mm-hmm. Bennett and talking about how sort of we have this assumption as humans that we are the ones with like agency and we are the ones that make things happen and like the sort of non-human things or everything yeah everything else just kind of sits yeah. there and has things happen to it kind of thing and actually that's very much not the case if anything we are products of the non-human like minerals sat away bubbling in little primordial ponds <laughs> and and as a result i also think that's a contender for the name of this episode primordial ponds primordial ponds is a new rival to primordial soup theory <laughs> just chilling in some primordial pond what you up to <laughs> primordial ponds it's a band name primordial ponds Ooh. anyways maybe if we ever work together as like collaborative artists again we should go <laughs> under the name primordial ponds <laughs> oh that's so good but yeah, so like, if anything, we came out of the non-human. Like, yes. the human is a drop in the ocean of all the non-human that is out there. And we like to think that we've sort of got a handle on, on the non-human and we're like, we understand this. We are the masters of it all. But finding the strangeness in it, I think, is important in reminding us that we by no means have a handle on it all. Yes. <laughs> Nor should we think we do. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I like the strangeness in it. And I think that's po- possibly part of what I like about the whole kind of ghost thing because I couldn't I was struggling to put my finger on it mm. and I think there's still more to it than that there's the kind of time element that comes into it it's the kind of crossing over of like time and material in a way like obviously ghosts aren't material but it's like giving time some sense of like body yeah is really cool as an idea I also think it's like it kind of at least I was thinking like this idea of strangeness and everything you were saying about that it is it's like a good reminder that there's a lot more than just our everyday perception of life like our very normal human we wake up we eat breakfast we pay rent we go to work like very average experience of life like it's a great reminder that there's a lot of strange things out there yeah and like i think it kind of is really nice because it's obviously we've spoken a lot about deep time on this podcast and rachel sussman um love our lives indeed and I think Rachel Sussman is actually a great example of this. Mm. Always. She's always a great example. <laughs> she's always <of> relevant. <laughs> she's always relevant. <laughs> and I think it's because, for example, her, her book that we obviously always talk about. The Bible. Um, <laughs> the Bible. Yes, you are correct. Um, like, obviously that deals with, like, really intense, deep time. But it's, it's almost dealt with in a way that you're like, oh my god, yeah, like, that's, that's a tree. Like, I could go yes. visit that tree. I could experience that myself. Yeah. And I think, at least with me, I often find things like that really just so, like, exciting. And I this is a bit of a tangent, but it also, like, slightly ties me to why I enjoy, like, high adrenaline sport. Like, why I like bungee jumping. Why I like, you know, all those really weird things. Because I think it's just a really good way for you to be like, yeah, there's a lot more to life than is just your very normal experience yeah. you're very average like there are strange things out there there's excitement there's things that you can't possibly comprehend like it's kind of the sort of thing that just gets your head in a bit of like a twist and you're like oh my god yeah life that's yes. cool <laughs> i think to like add on to that there's also something cool about finding the strangeness in the everyday though yes and being and like sort of reminding yourself that paying rent is a wild concept yeah <laughs> <laughs> like both economically as in why the hell should i have to pay rent when just pay off someone else's mortgage yeah not that i'm bitter but also just as a sort of you can get really i, I feel like this is maybe a bit of a not cliched because it's not overused but like a bit of a, a simplistic way to look at it but i always like to think about this idea of if we were like making a nature documentary mm-hmm. and came across this like colony of ants or something that was functioning with the systems that we have if we saw ants paying rent yes think how mind blown we'd be we'd be like oh my god this this (laughs) ant has just paid for rent like what (laughs) and it's like finding that it's like oh my god in this whole universe we pay rent (laughs) (laughs) 
Do you know what I mean? It's so weird that we yeah. have traffic lights and like yeah. we've built ourselves little cars and like we anything have yeah. laptops. We've got pot plants. Like <laughs> literally everything we do is really strange. Yeah. When you think about it, and I think that's an exciting fun way of looking at the world yeah. because you're like no we are the anomalies we are weird here yeah and it's actually to like add to that as well i think it's a nice reminder that we in as like an individual human it's kind of insane that you exist like yeah. you not just like you as a human like you specifically like who you are as an individual your likes your dislikes the time you were born the people you know where you live in the world like all those things have made you this one individual organism in the entire universe and you are solely you. Mm -hmm. Like, you are solely unique in that regard. Yeah. And, like, I find that kind of cool thinking, like... I don't know, I guess something we've spoken about a little bit previously is this idea of, like, obviously I'm sort of vaguely from, like, Winchester kind of area, you're sort of vaguely Oxford kind of area. Mm. You went up to a different university, I went off to a different university we both decided no we both like went somewhere else and then yeah. we've both ended up in falmouth we lived opposite each other in flats which is how we kind of became friends mm. and then we were in like one of the same tutor groups just before we split up and then we ended up saying just all these like tiny little things that were like oh yeah like we're best friends and we're like we're, we've been living together for two years and we're trying to find like a two bed together to like keep living together yeah that's kind of insane that like all those tiny little decisions we've made throughout our life all the like ways that we formed our personality so that we'd be compatible friends mm. all the things that happened outside of our control that have meant that we've ended up where we have like that's kind of cool thinking that of all the like i'm sure there will be millions of years of humans in some way shape or form whether we evolved to be different things completely yeah. But we existed at the same time and ended up in the same place. And now you're sat on my bed and we're recording a podcast together. Ah. Like, it's strange. And like, it's so strange. It's so weird. And it's just kind of a nice. I know some people find that really overwhelming and like don't enjoy thinking about that. Mm. But I really like it. I think there's so much. There's so much cool things that happen. And like, I think it's kind of okay to be excited about them sometimes. Like, yeah appreciate the weird things yeah appreciate the strangeness that is happening it really reminds me of um i don't know if you've ever seen the wrecking season mm, it's like so. a it's a, a documentary by a playwright a Cornish playwright called nick dark and his i think his wife also jane dark how uh, yeah they worked together on a couple of things and i can never remember who was like the oh, lead okay. on which but anyway and it's all about the stuff that washes up on cornish beaches mm. and like tracing their stories and sort of what kind of stories they tell um and I think they they open with like Nick is it's like a pieced camera and he says like oh people ask me what's the most like amazing thing that I found washed up on a beach this is probably not quite it what he's saying but ballpark yeah and he holds up a piece of parquet flooring and it's like why is that special like you get lots of weird things on a beach and then he goes the reason it's so strange is because like a meter away from it I found washed up another piece of parquet flooring and it's that same idea of like two things that presumably have come from the same place but have been like you know bashed yeah. about all over the atlantic or whatever and then have managed to wash up on the same patch of you know right next to each other on the same patch of beach in cornwall it's like what are the chances and it's that same thing i of, actually like, love that we're two little pieces we are okay we... <laughs> <laughs> if we ever need matching friendship tattoos <laughs> but how about a tattoo that would be just a little, little piece of flooring instead of primordial primordial ponds we're now parquet Parquet ponds. <laughs> I don't think that works quite as well. Anyways. Oh, I actually, I really enjoy that. Yeah. I think it's nice. I think it's just a nice reminder that, like, I don't know, I think more people should more regularly be like, hey, life's kind of weird, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I'm forever annoyed because I think there was a word, I think, that Simon said at one point in that, you know, education, that there's, like, a word that means, like, making things that are familiar like deliberately framing them in a way that's like really unfamiliar and to be honest like people do it as like memes and stuff like that like it's not necessarily a deep academic no. concept but it's just i probably can't do it very well but you know it is that thing of like really over explaining everything and yeah being like instead of calling a shoebox a shoebox being like so like tree pulp has been formed into a cuboid <laughs> shape and then like leather that molds around your foot <laughs> is put inside it you know like really yeah. breaking down what things are and i'm annoyed that i just never have found what that word is because yeah. it would be 
I want that useful to my life. If, if unless I've imagined it, but no. But also that also made me think of like just the fact that like you have blue eyes, like you have come from one person who had a genetic mutation mm. and ended up with blue eyes, and like that genealogy has like carried on because yeah. blue eyes are quite like like you sort of, you have to have like both parents have one of the alleles for you to get blue eyes. Yeah. That's kind of cool that, like, of all the people in your history, it's meant that you've ended up with blue eyes. Like, that alone, like, there are just little things that you can be like, hey, that's cool. There's so many things. Yeah. We could do a whole podcast of just... We could. This is weird. This is weird. That's cool. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I have a quote that loosely relates to that. I look forward to it. Uh, If we're okay to... Indeed. The problem is now I have to find it. Uh, which is... I, I believe... Oh, I've you... got it. Oh, oh got Christ. It. Okay. That was quick. I'm very impressed with myself. So I don't know how well... Um, I don't think... This this quote is not quite as like poetic and lovely as yours. This is more of a concept nice. that I have highlighted. So I'm trying to think if I should explain the quote and say the quote first. Can we say the quote, explain it, say the quote again? Yes. Okay. So it's difficult because it's a quote within a quote. Oh, Christ. Um, okay. So there's a... There's a philosopher called Alfred North Whitehead. To be honest, I know nothing about him. He was just mentioned briefly via this quote. But this guy, Alfred North Whitehead, within the book by Merlin Sheldrake, Uh said, You think the world is what it looks like in fine weather at noonday, but I think it is... Sorry, it's kind of broken up within the paragraph. I think it is what it seems like in the early morning when one first wakes from deep sleep. And they're talking more broadly about science likes to have very sort of He's talking about how we define things within science mm-hmm. and science has likes to have understandably very sort of strict and like rigid parameters for like experiments and like we can only classify this as this if it ticks these boxes mm-hmm. sort of thing and they're saying like how about we think about it slightly differently and instead of I guess it's kind of a metaphor like instead of understanding the world as what it seems like in fine weather at noonday mm-hmm. instead let's think about it when we've like just woken up and he said specifically let's try speculating at dawn and i like speculating at dawn as a potential title for something um, Ooh, i'm thinking yes. like because it's it's kind of a nicely sort of it's a, a poetic little phrase speculating at dawn like it's quite intriguing but it's also not obvious what it means yeah and to be honest i'm not sure i still have fully unpacked it but it's, I, I think it relates to finding the strangeness in things. And, like, that idea of when you... Yeah, when you wake up and it, you're you're kind of still quite, like, groggy and you're like, dear God, what is the world? And also, like, the, I'm really imagining... Do you get, like, purple light in the early, early morning? Maybe that's sunset. But I'm really picturing sort of, like, things in, like, purpley pink light. Ooh. And it's all just a bit sort of spacey and odd. And I like... The, it's that idea of not always seeing the world in a sort of... in In the way that we think the world is yeah looking at a different time of day it's not to say that that's the world is still existing at that time of day that's still how we could we could choose that as that's how we define yeah things but we've arbitrarily chosen the middle of the day yeah because that's what suits us and our scientific you know our our body clocks it's a good point to make though like even when you think about um like some people stay up until like four o'clock in the morning and write their essays at like one o'clock in the morning yeah and some people need to go and have like a coffee and sit down at like 11 o'clock in the afternoon and be like yes this is i'm going to write my essay now or Mm. just like understanding that people's brains work differently at different times of the day so like yeah i'd never thought about that that's interesting that you go oh yes science is done at this time of the day because that's the acceptable time of the day to do science yeah what if instead yeah. we did science at a very weird yeah. time of day? And it's not to say that, like, obviously science is done at all hours. Yes. But as a sort of loose concept, it's it's like harnessing that idea that, like, when you are awake at, like, 3am, it's like the whole witching hour thing. Like, mm. there's something kind of spooky, like, relating back to what we were talking about, like, something a little bit sort of eerie about those times of day where you know that you're maybe, yeah, other humans are to put it weirdly, unconscious. Yes. <laughs> and so you're a bit more, like, alone with the non-human and the other things that are out there. Like, yeah. not to make it spiritual or anything. Like, I'm not saying you're alone with the ghosts, necessarily. No. And, yeah, harnessing that energy and being like, okay, how can we how can we use this slightly yeah. different, like, more emotive way? But it's not any less true. No. It's just, it's just different. different. Yeah. And I like that as a concept. Yeah. Because, I mean, I guess that's why 
at least with me, that's why I like being up early because I like having a few hours at the start of my day where the world just isn't awake yet. Like it's just mm. peaceful and I feel kind of alone and I'm like, this is nice. Like yeah. my brain feels like it's functioning. Like I feel like I'm functioning differently mm-hmm. compared to like, yeah, three o'clock in the afternoon when it's like traffic and it just, I don't think you realise how your mindset or your like interpretation of the world or the interpretation of how you write or read or gain new information or try new things actually does shift depending on the time of the day or your mind frame yeah it's a strange old thing yeah i don't this is slightly slightly irrelevant but this does also remind me a little bit of like when i had surgery and i took um i took two weeks off university when i had surgery Mm. so i had one week where I, i was just recovering like i did nothing and then i did a second week where i didn't go to lectures I went to like my tutorials but then I just had that week of like doing essays by myself Mm. and I wrote I'd say probably about like 50% of an essay and bearing in mind I was probably like I was I was a week post operation Mm. and then I reread that essay a few months later when it came to me like working on it again and it it was nonsense it's the worst thing I've ever written I made not a single point (laughs) I had I had a lot of words on that page and yet somehow I said nothing. Nothing made sense. But at that time, I I felt with it enough that I genuinely thought I was writing my essay. <laughs> and then I reread it in a different mind frame and I was like, what? That was awful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, kind of relates ish to how this talk, this book talks about magic mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> and like how sort of brains work differently. And again, you know, we've got this model of like how we think a brain should work and how we think language should work. Mm. And so obviously not to say like the, the A, you were on shrooms or B, that you were like... I mean, I was, I definitely don't think I was fully <laughs> sober then. Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, like you were, your brain was in some kind of altered state, yes. shall we say. <laughs> and uh, yeah, not to say that you had actually written a work of art, but like it's interesting to think about like how could we frame things differently that there is value in yeah. a different type of language or a different yeah. type of thinking because like... Yeah, they they were talking in the book about how your brain normally on a day-to-day level operates on, I think it's called a default mode network. Nice. Or something it like that. Sounds like something on a phone. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> God, we're all phones. <laughs> we're all just little, little chips in a, in a case. I actually hate that. And so, like, that's, like, the paths that our brain has to use most often, I suppose, are kind of the most, yeah, like, just the most well-trodden paths, the most... I don't quite know exactly how it works, but I, the strongest links, I guess. And then off of this network, you've got little shoots about like the more tenuous things, the mm-hmm. weird little corners. And technically it's all connected, but it's all connected via this like, or, or like if a signal is going to go from two sort of technically unrelated things, it will go via the mode, the, the default mode network. Mm-hmm. Whereas apparently when you are like in an altered stage due to mushrooms or something like that, the default mode network sort of turns off and then it kind of, the links that your brain makes is no longer dictated by what is the normal route. It will just make, re- which is why you make really random connections because mm. suddenly there's no sort of normal in your brain, which is interesting. And apparently on a very practical level is, you know, really helpful for sort of not curing exactly, but alleviating symptoms of like severe depression and sort of people who've been like diagnosed with terminal illnesses and are obviously understandably going through a lot of emotional sort of yeah. turmoil. It can help come to terms with that a little bit or like sort of help with dealing with that yeah so, i was gonna say like yeah not that not that i'm by any means an expert um, no neither have i i should <laughs> disclaim on that no one do mushrooms trying to cure anything please um <laughs> but i was gonna say like i know at least my understanding of this which admittedly has come from someone who had a very severe version of it mm. They were saying that with OCD, that's what OCD is, is that you you have a missing link in your brain. Oh. So like when you have a thought, for example, I don't know, when you get some food out of the fridge, like cheese or something, mm. you get the cheese out. Like not that you actively are thinking this, but this is where OCD comes into it. The thought process you have is that you check the cheese, you see if there's mould, there's not mould, it smells fine. It's in day, I've looked after it, it's safe to eat, therefore I'm going to eat it. Mm -hmm. If you have OCD, you're missing 
part of that thought process, which means you get stuck in an obsessive loop. Oh, I see. So instead of going through that thought process, you usually get stuck somewhere around whether your judgment is able, like you trust your judgment basically. So like, like I said, that's kind of a fairly normal thought process. Maybe someone with OCD would have the thought process of like getting the cheese, looking at it, there's no mold on it, but it has been open a week. Maybe it's not safe because it has been open a week even though I know I've looked after and there's no mold and it smells fine, but it has been open a week. They mm. kind of can't move on from like, there's like a bit missing where they can't reasonably yeah. trust their judgment. Interesting. And obviously the more you do that, the more that becomes like your oh, yeah. most common pathway of yeah. thinking. And it's really hard to break the cycle. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, again, I uh, please, like, I really don't know if that's true. This has just come from someone who spent a very long time being treated for quite severe OCD and that mm. was how it was explained to them. I mean, it does um, make sense. Like, I yeah. can completely understand how that, yeah, would, would be true. Also, just as a very slight tangent, I've recently read a book which is, it's just fiction. I also wouldn't say it was the most incredible book, but, like, might throw it out as a recommendation. Mm-hmm. It's called The Mountain in the Sea by, I think it's called Ray Naylor. Um, but either way, it's about, basically, a sort of future Earth mm. where there's like a little island somewhere and they have discovered um, a species of octopus and it's like what it's kind of again it's it doesn't like it doesn't give you an outcome it just kind of like proposes this idea of what if there was another species for example octopus Mm. that develop a different form of language and communication Mm. so like it's not like they start speaking english um but like what if they were to actually start communicating as a higher life form would? Yeah, yeah. Um, and therefore, could we communicate with them? Mm. Like, would they actually comprehend what we were saying? Like, for example, when you think about, like, dogs, when you tell a dog to sit, it's not understanding the word sit, it's understanding the cadence of your voice, your body language, your tone, mm-hmm. and it knows what it wants from you, it wants you to do this, because if it does that, then it might get a treat, yeah. or it might get something nice. Yeah. Just, like, that's why people are like, you shouldn't shout at a dog, because they don't understand what you're saying, they're ju- you're just scaring them. Mm-hmm. Which is why, you know, you, sh- you shouldn't shout at dogs. Mm-hmm. Like, even if they've done something bad, just don't shout at dogs, weirdly. Yeah. But yeah, so it's kind of that thing of, like, what if... What if there was a species out there that you could actually communicate with? So it's, it's quite a good read. Like, it is yeah. fiction. It doesn't really, like, conclude anything. But it was actually a really interesting concept as a whole. And I also quite liked the concept it had where... It was basically, they had these, like, trawler ships mm. um, and they were run by machines. So it was, like, a artificial intelligence, like, running these ships. Mm-hmm. There was, like, one, had, like, a little section on board each one and, like, that was the yeah. ship. Except it needed to be manned by humans because they need to, like, catch the fish, like, bring the fish in, process oh, yeah. the fish. Mm-hmm. And it was just a really interesting thought process because in this book, it's actually a slave trade. Mm. So, like people are picked off the streets to be imprisoned on these trawler ships to man them. And that was just like one of those things that I was like, that's a really, such an interesting concept because that's quite insensitive. Like I'm I'm aware that things like this do happen. But also it was just an odd thing to think like there are artificial, there could be artificial ships that need humans to just be the like, the lowest rung of that ship. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It was, it was an interesting book kind of, thinking about mm. that those similar concepts of like communication language like thought patterns and that yeah yeah i mean it's interesting the choice of octopus because they are very intelligent they're some like, smart boys like honestly they must have i mean i really don't know much about it but they must have some sort of communication already that's pretty developed yeah and that we i mean obviously can't talk to as of yet <laughs> but maybe, maybe but maybe in the future we could do some research i do have a um a quote related to language interesting which is very lucky because i as i've said have not been organized at all <laughs> with how i've done my quotes and this was just a quote that i found earlier that i was like oh that's generally interesting but it happens to be related to language Ooh. i will say obviously it goes without saying this book covers like so much and i don't think we're gonna have time to do much more than this but there's so much more we could talk about related to mushrooms maybe another yeah, time maybe i say quote if i'm honest it's like three paragraphs I love how different in length our quotes are. Most five words, yours is three paragraphs. <laughs> um, but I obviously won't read out all three paragraphs. I'll try and paraphrase. Um, but it's talking about how, well, firstly, how thinking about non-human 
and the way in which we talk about it is important because that reflects how we think about it mm-hmm. um which yeah language is fascinating for that reason because it yeah really dictates like it's sort of it's a chicken and egg of like do we say the things that we say because that's what we think or do we think the things that we think because that's how we say them yes and it's kind of talking this quote is talking about like anthropomorphizing things mm-hmm. is kind of if we're thinking about how to understand that the non-human world does have agency anthropomorphizing is maybe a bad idea because it's like projecting human qualities onto the non-human things and being like well that's the only way in which we can understand them having agency is if we think about them as sort of almost humans humans which is very anthropocentric not to keep throwing these very similar words around (laughs) but you know it's it's quite an anthropocentric way of thinking about things but then on the other hand if we don't do that we just sort of talk about we inevitably talk about them as inanimate objects yeah because that's that's how our language is built we don't have loads of words for like things doing things yeah the in between things yeah. it's either you're an inanimate object or you're like we try to make you human so yeah. we can understand you yeah and obviously like there there are ways of doing it but it's surprisingly tricky to not fall into one or the other so <laughs> This is such a kind of gross way of saying it, but anthropomorphism, word is so hard to say, anthropomorphism is usually thought of as an illusion that arises like a blister in soft human minds, untrained, undisciplined, unhardened. I don't even really know what that means, but like it just kind of happens. Um, And there are good reasons for this, because when we humanise the world, we may prevent ourselves from understanding the lives of other organisms on their own terms. So it's that exact thing of like, we put that in human terms so that we can understand it. Mm-hmm. And then page turn. Oh yeah. I think, I wonder if we've spoken about this on the podcast before or like at the, the very least we might have spoken about okay. this. So the biologist Robin Wall Kimura, a member of the citizen, oh, I should know how to say this, Potawatomi. Sure. Sure. Uh, the citizen Potawatomi nation of the Great Plains region of the United States observes that the indigenous Potawatomi language is rich in verb forms that attribute aliveness to the more than human world. Ooh. So the word for hill, for example, is a verb to be a hill. I don't think it says what the word is, but there is a word that means to be a hill. That's um, cool. Hills are always in the process of hilling. They are actively being hills. And so, equipped with this grammar of animacy, it is possible to talk about the life of other organisms without either reducing them to an it or borrowing concepts traditionally reserved for humans. So, yeah, I think that's that exact thing of, like, some cultures have language that can do that Mm. in-between thing. I mean, not many. I think this is probably quite unusual, but that's an insanely concept. And, like, I know that there's a language... Again, I feel like this is something you might know. I've no idea where this is from, but there's a language... (laughs) that like instead of having left and right it's kind of oriented it's either uh, it's either in terms of like north south east west so you always oh. know so that means these people always know which way north south east west is oh my God. which is a strange again another thing of like how you think is determined by how what your language is and i want to say unless i've jumped this completely that there's a language oh it might be the same one and i've gotten confused but there's a language that like orientates yourself in time so it's a lot more like that way is moving forward in time and backwards is the past and like future. I don't know. Maybe I've made that up. But That's it's interesting to think about how, yeah, your language will then frame about how you think about things. And therefore, I think like to tie, so sorry, to tie, to tie it all up together. In a previous book I read, which I think was Underland by Robert McFarland, definitely mm-hmm. been mentioned before. Merlin Sheldrake was featured in the book. He was like a, a chapter. Ah. He had an interview, and so Merlin Sheldrake is is technically a scientist, although he obviously like does sort of more creative things like writing books about it. But yeah, scientist is his main profession. Nice. Whereas Robert McFarlane is more of a like he's an academic, but you'd, I'd say he's sort of more of a, on the creative side of things because he's like a writer. Uh-huh. That's his kind of main profession. And they were talking about this in that book, and Merlin was saying how that's kind of the job of creatives is to start like the science is coming up with this whole like look at the non-human world it's incredible there's so much to see we don't understand it like red flags oh my god look at this yeah Um, and then it's the kind of the job of the arts to think about how to bring that into I mean awareness as a very sort of superficial level but also our like thinking and like sort of the job of the arts to be creative and be like 
okay, can we invent new words or like, can we invent new ways of thinking? Which I think is a nice sort of, it's nice to feel like you've got a point, you know, yes. <laughs> a purpose. Because sometimes you do, you do just feel like, what am I doing? Yeah. Whereas if, if, for example, I was like, oh, maybe I'll like write something today. So it's a fun creative exercise. To be like, can I make new words? <laughs> yeah. I think I've I've heard like a version of that. Maybe it evolved yes, from that book, which is like about it before. yeah. I think it's yeah the idea of like science, science and scientists. Their job is to under like factually understand and progress, mm -hmm. and then creatives. Our job is to assimilate and sort of put it to the world yeah. in a way that is maybe not just like graphs and data. Yeah, and kind of be like look. These are some cool things. Maybe you go look at them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also, like, it's tricky because you don't obviously want to turn into just, like, here's me presenting information, but, like, engaging in conversations around it and yeah. thinking about it and making it sort of a, a two-way thing. Indeed. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's quite the right word. But no, anyway. but I, I get what you mean. It's it's a very interesting point yes. in general. Yeah. Ah, oh, this was very fun. I enjoyed this. I am glad that this has gone okay because I was worried that we were both <laughs> a bit like, dear God... Could have um, been real bad. Yeah, we were both. I feel like we. Well, you, there was a lot of silences. Yeah, you were feeling um, less than ideal. I was feeling fine. I was just annoyed about houses. Yeah, that's how I'd summarise that. <laughs> well, should we end it there? Sure. Delightful. We. I'm sure we'll end up doing another episode like this. Yeah, because um, this was very enjoyable. Yeah. I thought we'd like. I was worried we like wouldn't have enough to talk about, but actually, we both covered like two quotes, and I know for one, I have a book full of quotes here. Indeed. Lots nice. more to cover. Well, in that case, I'm sure we'll be doing more of this. Mm -hmm. um, and you'll hear from a guest. Hear from us again in three weeks' time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.